title of the message is The Grand Finale. That's our evening tonight and the grand finale that will be coming um, shortly. We don't know when. You know, sometimes when we say shortly, people think it's like next week. And, uh, and it could be. But because eternity is so long, the grand finale, even if it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that's still short compared to eternity. You know what I'm saying? So uh, let's look forward to that. So we uh, are going to begin tonight. There isn't a, a consensus on who wrote um, Psalm 83. Maybe you've been kind of hearing about Psalm 83 uh, because uh, a lot of people now are more interested in Psalm 83 uh, because uh, Psalm 83 appears to be a prophetic psalm. Well, Asaph was um, uh, able to write prophecy. He wrote um, some prophecy. He wrote some uh, different psalms. And uh, this is, I think, his final one in, in the Bible. So, um, that in, in our uh, Bible, at least, he may have wrote others that are not in here. But it's a song that speaks about the future. And so, um, here it begins, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make atonement. And those who hate you, you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people. Who's his people? Israel. And consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come. And let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. Are we still there? Yeah. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philista, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Now, these names that you see here are the inner circle of nations that surround Israel. Okay, they go by different names right now, but they're the ones that are closest. Uh, you notice Philista and then we know that um, Philistine uh, was the, the name of Israel for a period of time, 135 AD, when the Jews were um, cast out of their country. It was renamed uh, to uh, Philistine. It was, it was actually Philistine. It was named that way because the ruler wanted to get rid of the Jewish name. This was uh, named after Philistines. It was a tie to the Philistines. And so uh, he wanted to get rid of the idea 
that. Now, here's something very interesting. Um, we, we know that uh, the Palestinians um, claim Palestine as their land. That's where that all came from. Philista became Palestine. And, um, and they claim it's their land. It was the name of the land for quite a while. But the Israelites, the Jews that lived there, they were called Palestinians too. Everyone that lived there was called a Palestinian. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I, came from, I don't live in New York anymore. Um, so I don't go around telling people I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, I, I don't want them to know. So... Uh, but I'm from Arizona now. I'm an Arizonan, you know, I'm a Zoni. And, and that's what I go by because that's where I live. Well, they lived in this area called Palestine. They were all Palestinian. So when they used that, well, the Palestinian people, the Pal there were no Palestinian people. There wasn't any, period. They were Arabs. They were living there, okay, <clears throat> when Balfour was, uh, came up, when they came up with the Balfour Agreement, uh, I think it was 1917 or something like that, and when they came up with it, they had Israel and they had Transjordan. And really, that's where their land was. In Trans they didn't want any, they wanted it all for themselves. And they didn't want to divide the land. They wanted all of it. Now, Transjordan was actually twice as big as Israel. And so they would have had uh, a land that was a pretty good size, but they um, didn't want it because they didn't want Jews, period. They didn't want them to be part of their land. And that's really what it was all about. And they wanted to get rid of the Jews. So um, we jump down to verse 15, <clears throat> where it reads, So pursue them with your tempest. So now Asaph is saying, Okay, God, these guys are jerks. These countries, they're coming to try to kill us. They want to destroy us. Pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. They may seek your name. You know, and that's a prayer that we should be praying even for Hamas, even for Islamic Jihad, even for Hezbollah. We should be praying that they seek the name of Jesus, that they seek the true and living God, not the God, not their Mohammed, and not um, the, their gods, which are false, that we know them. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Amen. And so here, Asaph is 
calling them out, saying, Lord, you set this in order. And many theologians and, uh, you know, uh, different types of Bible teachers believe that this is for today. Now, reading it over and over, I got the impression, you know, when we talk about Ezekiel chapter 38, and God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw, and I'm going to draw you in, okay? And we always think, all right, what would draw, you know, Russia and Iran and Turkey into a war with Israel? What would do it? Oil, right? Energy, because that's what Russia lives on, especially now because of uh, the Leviathan um, uh, oil reserve that's off the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean. They are selling that oil to Egypt so it can be sold to Europe because Egypt has the way to get it there. And so now they are piping it to Egypt. Egypt processes it and then sells it to Europe. And so now Israel is making some good... Because one of Russia's pipelines actually had a little problem a while back. And nobody knows who did it. And it's not working right now. And so they're losing lots and lots of money. And so this is a way for them uh, to get control again by, um, by doing that. So um, these nations include Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt, and they're all right there. Those nations, Jordan and Egypt, are in a loose peace treaty with Israel right now. They're, it's not where they're buddy-buddy. But they have this loose treaty. They have had it for a long time. And uh, they gave uh, the, the um, Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt and said, okay, we'll have a peace. You know, Sinai Peninsula is almost as big as Israel. And they had possession of it. You know, they could have kept it. Uh, but they said, for peace, we'll, we'll make this. And it worked. They gave it back, and they have had peace with Egypt um, since that time. But Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, the Palestinians, there is no peace with them. Uh, you can't do a peaceful land deal. That's what they did with Gaza. They were in Gaza, and you know how they're, they're saying that Israel is the occupiers of Gaza. Have you heard that? They're occupiers? They're not even there. In 2005, they left Gaza saying, okay, we'll leave and let you have it to run. Okay, you guys can have it. We will pull back all of our people. Now, they didn't cut ties completely. See, because without Israel, they wouldn't have water or electricity. Israel has been providing free water and electricity to Gaza since Gaza was there. 
And so Israel pulled back. And then in 2006, Hamas was elected, elected to run. So that tells you something. There was an election, and they won the election. They were voted in. And so it wasn't the kind of elections that we have today. It was um, actually... Uh, a legal election where they actually voted them in and I, what are you guys laughing about? Uh, it, it, it was, you know what, I can joke about stuff like that because it doesn't matter. But they voted them in because the Palestinians wanted them to lead. They wanted them to be in charge. And so if you want a criminal to be in charge, a criminal entity, Hamas, a criminal, if you want them to be in charge, they'll be in charge. They've never had another election since. They've been in charge ever since. And they're running things the way that they want to. They don't take any of their money that they're getting and put it towards the people in Palestine. They don't get you know, upgraded hospital care and so on and so forth. Most of the stuff that they have that's good in Gaza comes from Israel. And even the hospital that was accidentally bombed last night, it, it was a hospital that was supported from Israel from a Baptist or it's actually an Anglican organization in Israel that is funding it, that takes care of that hospital. Everybody hear about the rocket that hit it? Okay, so here's something you need to know. Rockets um, are very similar to bottle rockets, sky rockets, you know, you... You light them and they go, maybe. Sometimes they only go this far and they blow up. And sometimes they go and then they go over here and they're somewhere else. They land on your neighbor's roof, start a fire. And that's what a rocket does. They're not guided weapons. And so all of the rockets that are being fired from Gaza into Israel are unguided rockets. How do they get these rockets? Well, first, all you have to do is dig up the water lines that Israel installed in Gaza so the people could have water. You dig those up, they're thick PVC, and you cut them into chunks and now you have your launcher. And then you can produce these rockets that have a bunch of shrapnel in them, just random stuff that, you know, the, the, you know, the 64 Datsun that got blown up last week, you just cut it up and you make shrapnel out of it. Am I being serious? Absolutely. Th this is what they do. And then they build these unguided rockets and they get better, they've been getting better at them, they make them go further now. 
they're able to hit places that they weren't able to hit before. And so they're able to reach Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And so now they're firing uh, these rockets. The difference between their rockets and the Israeli rockets, Israel, Israel doesn't have rockets. They have missiles. They're guided weapons. Do you know how well they work? All the buildings that are laying on the ground were hit by these missile by these rock uh, missiles they were guided missiles that how can they take a picture with a drone and a video and know exactly where that weapon is going to hit and there it goes it hits and the building comes down how because that's how it works it goes to where it's supposed to it's guided to the exact location it's supposed to go to, and it does what it's supposed to do. This weapon that landed outside the hospital, it didn't land inside the hospital. First clue. First clue. Israel's rockets, Israel's missiles don't miss. They don't just randomly hit cars out on the street. And when they do, there's a crater eight feet to 20 feet wide because it's that powerful. It will take out a building. It'll take out a road. It'll take out a runway at an airport. That's what they're designed to do. And so the rocket last night, they actually have a video of it, was being launched by Gaza. It went up and then it came down and it landed on some cars. And, I mean, it wasn't even that good of a rocket because it, it destroyed like four or five of the cars and yeah, it made a mess out of the place. But it wasn't uh, like an Israeli guided missile. It didn't do the damage. And so that, in and of itself, this is before I knew all of what they've been reporting uh, even before I um, saw the actual video of the rocket being launched and everything, before all of that, as I was reviewing the info this morning, and I saw the site that they were looking at where the hospital was, and I said, that hospital's still standing? <laughs> wasn't Israeli. Because if they were going to take it out, it would have been taken out. When they said there were 500, now they're saying 200. Now they're saying, okay, well, under 200. And uh, they would have taken out everything. It would have been gone, just like you've seen with the rest of the buildings that they've been taken out. So, um, you know, I, I'm explaining that because it has nothing to do with I'm supporting um, Israel's attack or, or I am supporting, you know, what Hamas... No, it has nothing to do with that. It's just facts. I'm just going over the facts of the situation. Here are the other facts. The rest of the world immediately jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, Israel did this. Israel, oh, it's Israel's fault. Not just the rest of the world, New York Times... 
started reporting it immediately. You know, Rashid Talib uh, was out there saying that it was, you know, our fault. And, you know, this is ridiculous that people, well, here's the sad part, is that young people that don't know the difference between a rocket, a guided missile, or a Toyota 4Runner. They don't know the difference. They just, whatever they're told, and if they're told by someone that's credible, then stupidity reigns. And that's what uh, we're seeing, unfortunately, today. So the current war with Hamas may be the opening salvo of the Ezekiel 38 war. This may be the hook in the jaw, especially if Hezbollah gets involved, especially if Iran gets involved. You know, they're threatening. And if they get involved, this may be the opening salvo to kick off. If that's true, guys, be ready. Because we're not going to be here very much longer if that's true. Um, even if it's not true, we may not be here very much longer. So, uh, I, you know, we should always be prepared. But for me, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I am just trying to be realistic looking at this and seeing everything taking place and understanding Bible prophecy. And I think, wow. Everything is being set up. Everything is in order for what God is going to do because he already told us what he's going to do. He already gave us all the details. Nothing's being hidden. So the U.S. seems to be supportive of Israel, sending in the aircraft carriers. We have another one in uh, the Persian Gulf. Not a good place. Persian Gulf is not a good place to have an aircraft carrier. I'll, I'll tell you. They, I don't know that they do. They, uh, they may have a flat top in there. They may have like an LHA or an LHD in there or something like that, but I don't know that they have an aircraft because the Persian Gulf is very shallow and it's very dangerous for big ships to go into. Um, so uh, anyway... Let's uh, hear what the president has to say. He says, Israel must eliminate Hamas, but path to Palestinian statehood also needed. There's that but. U.S. President Joe Biden says Hamas must be destroyed, but there must also be a path to a Palestinian state. There is. It says Jordan this way. And go over there and live. Biden says during an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes that Hamas engaged in barbarism that is as consequential as the Holocaust. He's right. Okay? So that part is correct. You know, and, and people are comparing this to 9-11. And a lot of people are saying, it's not 9-11. They say, you know, 9-11, there were a lot more people that died, and so on and so forth. We have 370 million people in the United States, or 335, somewhere in there. We got a lot of people in the United States. They have 7 million. So losing the number of people that they had, it's 
30 times 9-11 and the number of people that were lost. So numbers-wise, they lost a lot, you know. And, and probably in their country, almost everyone lost someone that they knew or someone that knows someone that they knew. It's, it, it's going to be very um, close in that regard. So I'd like to see how long this support stays. Uh, you know, the, the hospital event last night kind of made things a little shaky. And then they proved it to the president. So the president and BB sat down and they talked together. They, they were on TV and everything. And the president says, hey, we know that this was not, you know, this was not you. This was the other team. Those were his words. It was the other team. Is this a game? Are, are these two teams that... Uh, so if you're playing football and, you know, and the, the center hikes the ball to the quarterback and the defense shoots the quarterback and kills him before he has a chance to throw it, eh, you know, it's just the other team. They're a little rowdier than, you know. So this is reality. When he uses a stupid term like, oh, it's the other team that did it, you know what? You're embarrassing our country. Okay? It's not, they're not a team. They're terrorists, and they need to be called terrorists. You know, and, and I, so if, if I get a little emotional, you know, um, because I am. You know what? I defended this country. I, I was in the military. I served overseas. I was there in the Persian Gulf for the Gulf War. And um, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are good Arabs there. There are some good, I, you know, I got to go to Dubai, United Arab Emirates, Abu Dhabi, hang out and, and, uh, and shoot pool with some, and they were good people. Weren't very good at pool, but they were good people. That was good for me though. So, but even in the U.S., there's quite a bit of support uh, for the killing of Jews. So, demonstration rally across the U.S. in response to violent conflict between a violent conflict, a violent conflict between Israel and Hamas. First of all, so this is PBS. So, it isn't a violent conflict. It's a murder. It's a genocide. It's the fact that they left Gaza to come and kill innocent civilians. You know, the, um, the, the music fest that was going on, that they came and killed hundreds of kids that were there at the music. Some of them were Arabs. Some of them were Arab, Israeli kids, teenagers, young adults that were there. They shot them too indiscriminate, they don't care, collateral damage. It doesn't really matter. If they're going to hang out with Jews and listen to music, 
they, they're worthy to die too. That's the mentality that they have. And it's evil. That's what it is. It's evil. Just so you know, I still hold them responsible for being evil, for administering evil. I, I still hold them responsible, but I know where it's coming from. Y yes, it's coming from Iran, but it's coming from the evil one. That's where all this is coming from. So when we get agitated, um, when we get frustrated by these things that we see, um, it, it's sometimes misplaced because uh, we, we allow ourselves to become upset at people rather than where it's all originating with the enemy. And, um, but we can be upset with the people too. I'm okay with that. Um, because there are lots of Psalms written by David about his enemy and about the fact that, you know what, God? They're idiots. Go kill them. Wipe them out. You know, destroy them. Because I believe that these people know what they're doing. Uh, especially Hamas. You know, I, I believe a lot of the Palestinians are just there because they have no choice but to be there. But Hamas, whole different, whole different world. So PBS wrote about a violent conflict, and um, they name Israel first, as if Israel is responsible for this violent contact. Supporters of Israel and backers of the Palestinian cause held competing rallies in several American cities Sunday over the conflict that has killed hundreds and wounded thousands in the Middle East. Killed hundreds and wounded thousands of who? You know, and, and so this is just a way to sugarcoat what's really going on. And this is PBS where so many people get their news because it's so reliable. <clears throat> yeah, I laugh too. Then we have our politicians who want to chime in here. Progressive squad members under fire after suggesting Israel is not responsible to Hamas, uh, not respond to Hamas attacks. An immediate ceasefire and de-escalation is urgently needed to save lives. That was like right after Right after this happened, they immediately want to have a ceasefire and a de-escalation. Weapons hadn't even been fired. You know, they were chasing Hamas out of their kibbutz, but, you know, nothing has happened, and they wanted a ceasefire uh, immediately. And, and so, who voted these people in? Well, they're in areas that are predominantly Muslim, and so they get voted in over and over again. Uh, AOC, I, she's from Queens. Don't hold that against me. I have nothing to do with her. I'm from Queens, but 
we have a little more common sense. You have AOC and you have Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is from Queens too. He got to be president. AOC got to be present. Uh, it's <laughs> almost the same. A lot of letters are the same in that. So they immediately spoke out against them. And uh, they called for this ceasefire. When the hospital was bombed in, in uh, Gaza, they did the same thing. You know, it, it was like, hold on, we're going to blame Israel for this. And, you know, you guys have got to stop firing now because now, look, you're blowing up hospitals, so you've got to stop. Launch. And there are countries all over the world that are like, yeah, they have to stop. This is getting too dangerous now. Uh, I, I just don't understand. So, you can go to the blank one. Iran has hardly been mentioned by the president, and that's something that I find concerning, especially because he was so happy to give them billions of dollars. And it isn't just the six billion, it's all of the money because they're not maintaining sanctions against them that were put in place. And so because those sanctions weren't maintained, they have been able to export much more of their oil, sell their oil, and now they have collected, uh, I think it was a billion dollars a week that they were able to, um, to make off of the sale of their oil. So is he and his administration the only ones that haven't figured out who's behind this attack? It really seems so. It seems like they're oblivious to the fact that Hamas, driving a 72 Datsun B210, does not have the ability to launch a massive attack unless they're funded. Okay, and they were able to do this. Now, all of the money that Hamas takes in as the government authority there in Gaza goes into the tunnels. If you've seen the tunnels, they're well constructed with electricity. They have air conditioning in the tunnels. You need to have it, otherwise you die under there. And so you need to have ventilation. You need to have air blowing through those tunnels. There are over 300 miles of tunnels underneath Gaza. And, and so they spend all of the money that's supposed to be going to the Palestinian people for their war machine for the tunnels and for the weapons, for the rockets that they're making. All of those buildings that you see being toppled by guided missiles are weapons facilities, are uh, offices of Hamas, are places that they use to continue to enhance their capabilities. And maybe not, maybe they're just barracks, but we're taking them out too. And they have had this plan. So really what we're doing is just taking buildings out so that they don't have any place to regroup to, 
but they're staying in the tunnels. They're living in the tunnels. And tunnels are very dangerous places. Uh, it's hard to uh, be able to fight a war in a tunnel. I say just seal up one end and see what happens. Keep, every time you find a tunnel, seal it up. See what happens. See who comes running out the other end. You know, because eventually that's what's going to happen. If you seal up one end, air doesn't flow through anymore. And now they have to move. So, you know, they haven't called to ask my advice. That's, <laughs> that's the advice I would give them. So I have my number out there. So, you know, here Hamas admitted to the fact that, it, that Iran was helping them. I don't know if you knew this, but at the very beginning, they said, yes, this was all part of a plan that Iran put in place, they funded, so on and so forth. And then Iran came out and said, no, we had nothing to do with that. Oh, we taught them how to fish, but, you know, we're not... You know, and when they say fish, fight, is what they're really talking about. But still, they, oh no, we didn't do that. We just taught them. And then Hamas said, oh no, no, they didn't. They're, they're, right, right. You know, they didn't want their money cut off. But both, everyone knows Hezbollah and Hamas are both funded. Even Islamic Jihad are funded by Iran. Now, who can even not see that? Anyone can see that, you know, just understanding the layout. Iran gets on the TV and says, we're going to kill you, we're going to wipe you out, we're going to... So if you can't figure this out... Next slide. Hamas coordinated with Iran before and during... Israel attack officials say. This is Newsweek. Hamas was in active coordination with Iran before, during, and after an attack against Israel over the weekend, a senior Hamas official said. Ahmed Abdullahi, I forget, I just, anyway, Ahmed. Uh, Hamas's representative in Lebanon said in response to a Newsweek question in an audio conversation on X that Hamas had also coordinated with Iran's Lebanese ally Hezbollah and with other factions of a so-called axis of resistance before the assault, the deadliest Palestinian militant attack in Israel's history. So there we go. We, we now know that they did it. Here, there's the guy that said that they did it. And he was a leader. He knows all of these things. Next. Iran vows potential revenge to Israel after Biden admin says, no evidence. <laughs> Biden's guys. There's no evidence uh, of occlusion. Uh, I mean, of Tehran involved in Hamas attack. There's no evidence. There was evidence of Russia collusion, but there's no evidence of Iran. Iran's foreign minister has warned that an Israeli ground offensive in Gaza 
would force Iran to intervene, likely expanding the war to other parts of the Middle East, according to a report. So what they said is that they're going to expand the war effort. Who is going to do that? Iran. They're saying, we're going to expand it to other parts of the Middle East, according to a report. Well, hold on. Other parts of the Middle East are Lebanon, Hezbollah, you know, uh, where else? How about the Hamas guys that are in the West Bank? There are a bunch of them there too. They, they were out there throwing stones at tanks today. Tanks a lot. But, uh, you know, it, it's, I love it when they, they have their sling and a stone, like David against Goliath, and they're, they're slinging these stones, and it's like, really? It's a tank, and there's no one outside standing there. Who, what are you going to? Oh, man, you have to call because I think we have a chip in the windshield, and uh, we're going to have to have them come out and fix that tomorrow. Ridiculous. But they want to make it look like they're standing up against Goliath. That's what they're trying to... It's all for the TV. It's all because they know all of this is being broadcast all over the world. So they're going to use the other proxies. Iran is milking the Gaza hospital explosion for all it's worth. Slide 12. Iran shares chilling message for Israel after Gaza hospital explosion kills 500 uh, at the time. 300 of them recovered. Time is over, is what Iran said. Iran's foreign minister posted an ominous tweet on Wednesday that said, so this is today, by the way, time is running out for Israel. You can see that they're really worried about this. The post was made hours after an explosion at a Hamas-run hospital in Gaza suffered an explosion that reportedly left hundreds dead. He added, time is over. Time for what? So obviously they have plans. And I think that they should take them seriously. As a matter of fact, maybe sending something over to that little nuclear power facility that they have on the coast there and taking that out because that's surrounded by rockets. They have missiles, Iran has missiles surrounding that whole facility there. Uh, so taking that out would probably... Iran doesn't realize that Israel knows everything that's going on in Iran. You know, it, it's kind of like when my kids were young and I would come into the room and I would see them go, you know, what are you doing? You know, nothing, nothing, Dad. You know, you're doing, you've got candy there in your, oh, how did that get there? And that's Iran. I, Iran really, it is like some of the stuff they come out with is 
are you serious? You expect people to take you seriously? Well, what's really scary is that they do. All of those people that are protesting all over the world, they take them seriously. And they think that what they're doing is right or worthwhile. So they usually just have lots of talk. Are we on 13? That's 13. Okay. So we also have demonstrations all over the world and in the U.S. Many schools are supporting. Have you heard about the schools that are supporting Hamas now? And uh, they're coming up with uh, all kinds of reasons why they... So these kids... I can't say it. I'm, I'm in church. Um, they are lost. How do they get there? First of all, I blame parents that sent them to the schools that they're going to. You know? And if your kid wanted to go to a school that, uh, to learn stupidity and you paid for it, you're culpable. You know? And if they wanted to pay for it, you go right ahead. You go there, let me know. You know, if I need a basket weaved when you graduate, I'll let you know. And uh, maybe I'll give you five bucks for it. But we have seen the degradation of our education system. And this is the evidence of it. I mean, it's been going on for a very long time because some of those people that I grew up with are politicians and they're in office. And they're the ones that are saying the stupid things that I just... But they were saying the same things when they were teenagers. They were taught that and they believed it. And now they, they live that way. So... Um, let me see, where I are we? I think what the Hamas did last Saturday considered as a genocide. It's not a massacre. And unfortunately, some rubbish human being around in the world are celebrating such massacre by considering it as a Palestinian victory. I think that if in the 21st century, massacres, uh, can be considered as victories, that means that this is the end of humanity. That's the end of humanity, is what he said. That's a Palestinian man living in Israel. And he was, there was a, a longer video, I took chunks, uh, I just took that one chunk out. But He's like, what is going on? I have no idea what's wrong with these. But they have no idea what's going on. I, I, I was talking uh, earlier about uh, the group of Israelis that were on uh, Capitol Hill. They were there. They went into the rotunda. They were one of the largest groups there in the rotunda. And they were shouting for Israel to stop, to, to, um, to have a ceasefire, and to stop attacking Gaza. These are Israelis. 
No, they were Jews. Here's the difference. As an Israeli, you know what Israel goes through. You've seen it. You've been there. You've lived it. These are Jews living comfortably in their homes in the United States. They don't understand what it's like to live in Israel. I don't understand. I've been there, you know, I've gone, I've even gone into some of the homes there. But um, it, it's not really understanding what it's like to live there as a Jew. But they want to be there. They want to be there defending their country because that's their country. Just like we want to be here defending our, I'm glad I live in Arizona. I can carry a gun if I want to. I can protect my family. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I live in a place that's free, that we can defend ourselves. I'm, I'm a little shocked because when you're in Israel, you don't just see um, the military, the IDF, walking around with submachine guns and stuff like that. You see civilians walking around with submachine guns. Once they get out of the IDF, or if they're on weekend leave, they carry their weapon with them. You know, they don't keep that at home, oh, I've got to lock it up in the armory. No, they're walking the street with it. And you've never felt safer. I never felt threatened by walking around through Israel. I felt threatened in Tel Aviv on Purim. I happened to be there on Purim in Tel Aviv. And I felt threatened by men walking down the street in tutus. Okay? Seriously, Tel Aviv is a very homosexual community, but that wasn't the reason why. Purim, where we would be celebrating like a religious holiday, like Easter, they dress up in costumes like we do at Halloween. And so they celebrate Purim like um, it's a mixture of Mardi Gras and Halloween. And that's what Purim is like in Tel Aviv. It's, it's upsetting. It really is upsetting. So, you know, and that's what I got to witness while I was there. And I thought, um, these people are out of their minds. But, um, but that's because it was Tel Aviv. That wasn't going on in Jerusalem, and I said, then why did I book a hotel in Tel Aviv? But, you know, I, got, I flew in that day, so I had to stay somewhere. So he, that Palestinian man, says it's the end of humanity, and that is accurate. He's seeing the degradation of morality to the point where humanity has lost its humanity. And we're seeing that before our very eyes. Most of the mainstream news channels are ignoring this topic completely. But there was one Newsmax guy, I was watching this yesterday, and I said, oh, this guy is great. I got to show them. 
Hamas assumed political control of Gaza through elections and public support in 2006. Then they won a brief civil war and assumed even more power in 2007. So spare me, the Hamas doesn't represent Palestine. It does, literally. They were elected to. These overly educated kids, they don't care about that because look who's teaching them. This guy. If you have kids at Cornell, parents pull them out immediately. A professor there told students that he found the unprompted slaughtering of Israeli civilians, quote, exhilarating and energizing. And all the students are sitting around clapping like, oh, yeah, they joined in and chanting, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Palestine is free. Well, it's about to be a parking lot, but it was free until he sent paragliders to shoot up a music festival in Israel. You see, a good professor would show their students the Oslo Accords, where Israel gave a two-state solution in exchange for peace. Now, Palestine was actually so free that, in fact, they're now cutting out the water pipes that Israel built for their infrastructure to turn into rocket launchers. This is what your kids are being spoon-fed in college, folks. It's not worth the money. I can't call someone the wrong pronoun on campus without getting thrown the heck out of the school, but you can chant in favor of terrorism. That's where we're at. We have a bunch of Greta Thunbergs running around lecturing us on stuff they know nothing about. A bunch of Greta Thunbergs, you know. Uh, so while um, we're talking about um, that, we'll leave Israel behind for a little bit and talk about climate change. And... Um, what? There is climate change. As a matter of fact, when I was here earlier today, the climate was pretty toasty in here. I changed it. And so you're comfortable because I'm in charge of climate change. But, you know, climate change... Now, you have to actually listen to the people that have something that they're able... Here are people... Now, it was a UN um, uh, you know, uh, meeting on climate change, and here are some people that are going to solve the climate change problem. They're shouting, stop climate madness. The people are inside this room talking about climate change. Well, the purpose of the action was some kind of a wake-up call to the negotiators that we are really expecting them to make progress and to come with a, a serious outcome here of Warsaw so that we can move forward on the road to Paris and that we really can make progress for a, a global deal that is urgently needed to, uh, to ensure that we can prevent dangerous climate change. We're going to stop climate change by chance. First of all, how did those people get in the arena? How did they get in there? What? Oh, they had a seating section for people to watch people inside a room that was closed that were discussing climate. It was all set up. 
This is, uh, you know, just the way, excuse me, just the way that we're going to advance, you know, the climate change. So, um, but if you say it was a setup, then you're a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, so that's me. Um, Go to number five and um, go to, let me see, go to slide two. Okay, so Nobel Prize winner Klauser signs there is no climate emergency declaration. Have you heard about the there is no climate emergency declaration? It started last year, and they started getting all these scientists to sign up. The reason why a lot of people haven't heard about it is because no one's reporting it except for a few you know, news sources. And so the only ones that report on it report on it in a negative way. You know, oh, these people aren't qualified to make that assumption. And, and well, this is a Nobel Prize winner that's made. He's the second one now that has signed on. 1,600 climate scientists and uh, people that are in the, the climate, I don't, I don't know, weather, weather people. You know, and, and so our weather people are so stinking accurate. So that just tells me, if you live in Arizona and you can't get the weather right, get another job. <laughs> you know, you live in Washington, it's going to rain. Oh, you're probably right 90% of the time, you know. And, and so Arizona, it's going to be sunny. Eh, you'd be right 90% of the time. Uh, I, I don't understand. Anyway, um, go back. So the declaration pushes back on the fact that carbon dioxide, a gas necessary for life on Earth, due to its role in photosynthesis, is categorized by the climate hysteric community as a pollutant. So they say carbon dioxide. When you hear the term carbon dioxide, it's like, oh no, get my K95, whatever that mask is. I I need to... Um, what? Carbon dioxide? Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of their policy measures. And that's what it, the, it's politicians getting together with us. So they're working out a deal so everybody benefits from this except you, except people. That's, that we're the only ones that are not going to benefit um, from this. So uh, that was slide two, slide three. Okay, that's blank. No, that's slide four. Go back one. Ah, okay. So that was the one that I told you about. And this pri- Nobel Prize winner, John Clauser, uh, from the United States was the one that recently signed on. This is August 16, 2023. Okay, so let's go to um, the founder of Greenpeace. I don't know if you know this. One of the founders of Greenpeace, he left Greenpeace, okay, a while back. And um, the reason he left is because Greenpeace is all into, um, you know, wind 
energy and into solar and so on and so forth. And he said, what about nuclear and hydrogen? And they're like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Well, how many deaths have we had from nuclear disasters in the United States? No one. No one's even got sick from nuclear. I, I used to live by a plant in San Onofre in, in California, and they shut that down. And I, I mean, it's ridiculous because nuclear is probably some of the cleanest energy that you can get, and, in, and it's so much energy in one little area, and it can, you know, uh, and we still have some uh, plants and stuff like that going, but nothing like we used to have, and we're not building anymore. Um, so uh, this is pretty sad. So here's the founder of Greenpeace. Why are you here? Well, one of my missions is to turn on its head the idea that carbon dioxide is a pollutant and somehow dangerous, when in fact it is the most important nutrient for all life on Earth, and without it, this would be a dead planet. So I say not only is carbon dioxide good, it is essential, and it's a good thing that we are putting some more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because it was running low before we came along. CO2, we know its benefits for plants, but it is a, a known greenhouse gas, and we're pumping too much of it in, leading to global warming. Well, actually, it may be a known greenhouse gas, but it's not known how strong it is in terms of changing the Earth's temperature. And so far in this century, there has been zero warming from a statistically significant basis, and the UK Met Office says so. Yet one-third of all human CO2 emissions have been put into the atmosphere in the last 18 years. So it doesn't look like a lockstep causal relationship between increasing CO2 and warming of the Earth. Are you seriously suggesting we should be pumping more stuff in, polluting the earth more, building more coal-fired power stations just so we can make sure that the CO2 levels are good? No, I'm not, because we're putting plenty of CO2 into the atmosphere. We don't need to do it this quickly, but if we bring it up to a higher level than it is today, we will get immediately an increase in the growth of crops and trees, which is not a bad thing. In the long run, though, it doesn't matter if we bring it down quite a bit. And so that's why I'm supportive of nuclear energy and of natural gas. This tendency to go in the rich countries to wind and solar is a giant waste of money. Those wind farms will rust in place and there is no fun to decommission them when they either wear out or we decide how ridiculous it is to spend so much money for so little electricity that isn't even reliable. What are you saying about energy policy now to the ideas of decarbonisation to cut? Is everyone wrong? Yes, they're wrong if they are actually basing their energy policy on decarbonisation. They're not wrong to base their energy policy on cost effectiveness, on pollution control, which is why moving from coal to gas makes sense if you have it. But India has coal, and India has 300 million people with no electricity. What do we expect them to do? Of course they're going to build coal plants, but India is also building a lot more nuclear plants than the UK is right now, and it doesn't have the emissions of a coal plant. And China is building huge hydroelectric dams which don't have the emissions of coal plants. So many of these countries are doing their bit without wasting all this money on wind and solar energy, which is unreliable and prohibitively expensive in the long run. Why is this consensus out there? 
Look, if, they, if we had definitive proof that CO2 was causing serious problems and we could prove it, don't you think they would write that down on a piece of paper somewhere so people could read it? They don't have definitive proof, period, in science. I'm, I'm, I'm a student of the philosophy and history of science, and I know that the scientific method has not been applied in such a way as to prove that carbon dioxide is causing the Earth to warm. Do you think in a few years, say 50 years from now, people go, that was a really stupid period in our history when we tried to change all our energy policies to cut this gas? I am firmly of the belief that the future will show that this whole hysteria over climate change was a complete fabrication. This is all wrong. How dare you? Had to get Greta in there, the climate expert. So I feel bad, all right. So I feel bad for Greta because you know what? She didn't come up with that on her own. You see, she was put up there by her parents and by others that came up with this whole thing. Let's put Greta up there. She just says stupid things all the time and we could put her, she won't even know what she's saying, but you know, people will believe her because she looks so believable. And that's all you have to do is look believable. And, and she just looks like she really means what she's saying. And I believe she does. She believes what she's saying because she was told that that's what you need to believe. But she has no idea what she's talking about. She's not a climate scientist. She was, what, 15 at the time or 14 at the time that that video was made? She's 21 now and, and a multimillionaire. So what does that tell you? Um, so, uh, Greenpeace um, and uh, the, the whole Greenpeace effort, they parted and this guy said, hold on, I'm taking the smart path and I'm coming up with solutions. Uh, the rest of the organization uh, went the other way. So now, uh, we've seen what's going on with wars in Israel and then we see what's going on with um, with climate change. And now let's uh, take a look back at wars and rumors of wars, as we're told, that we're going to see in the Bible. So the U.S. must be ready for simultaneous wars, this is from Reuters, with China, Russia, report, reports say. The United States must prepare for a possible simultaneous wars with Russia and China by expanding its conventional forces, strengthening alliances, and enhancing its nuclear weapons modernization program, a congressionally appointed bipartisan panel said on Thursday. The report from the Strategic Posture Commission comes amid tensions with China over Taiwan and other issues and worsening frictions with Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. Next slide. So now there's an AI arms race and China and US compete to see who can unleash killer robot soldiers first as military power hangs in the balance. And there's a whole article about what they're doing and how they're achieving this. Next slide. And so China and the US are locked in this race to develop new weapons controlled by AI, a battle that could determine the world's balance of power. 
The race with China to build autonomous weapon systems is the defining defense challenge of the next 100 years. Christopher Alexander, chief analyst officer at Pioneer Development Group, told Fox Digital News Digital. So this is actually an unmanned aircraft, a drone-type aircraft that launches AI-type weapons. And uh, so uh, I'm not, I haven't, I don't have the time to read every single thing. Uh, I would have been doing this for six months just to get through tonight. So um, that's what's going on there. Um, this is wars and rumors of war. So wars, there's Russia and Ukraine. There's China and Taiwan. There's Iran and Saudi Arabia. Civil war in Turkey. There's a civil war in Iraq going on. There's the Syrian war and the Kurdistan independence war that's going on. A civil war in Afghanistan. There's China and India are also starting to um, muck things up. And North Korea and South Korea, or maybe North Korea and Japan, or maybe North Korea and the United States, North Korea and the whole world. They're just gonna shoot a missile at someone. They're tr just trying to get it to fly straight before they actually do it. Then there's Yemen and Pakistan and Ethiopia. There's a list of countries a long way that are having different kinds of problems. And these are the wars and the rumors of wars that we're told about in Matthew chapter 24. So we see all of these things taking place in our world today. We see the very thing Jesus talked about. We see uh, the players getting into position to complete the rest of the story. And it's going to be pretty dramatic. Right now, um, we covered everything I really wanted to cover tonight. Natural disasters are another thing that's happening. Do you know why? Climate change. <laughs> Got to blame it on something, you know. So obviously, it's climate change that's causing um, these uh, natural disasters and persecution is another sign. And right now in the United States, we don't have persecution against Christians, or do we? You see, it's not what outward persecution that you see yet. But what they're doing is changing the wording of hate crimes and they're getting people so geared in their wokeness so that they're getting people to agree when the time comes. See, how many people agree that everyone that was in the Capitol on January 6th that were there, they all should go to jail? Uh, but this other group that's in the capital, or Antifa when they destroy you know, cities and you know, make an autonomous zone and kill shop owners, oh, that's okay. You know, but whoever was in the capital, they're criminals. They're, 
who is making the rules. And so that's why we're the next target. This is just what happens in when you have an author, uh, 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 yeah, when you have one of those. Um, so we have a leader that's going to, and, and I don't blame it on President Biden. He doesn't know what he's doing half the time. So, I mean, I, I know that's sad because he's the president, but I really don't believe that he's in control of our country. Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, all right? We didn't land on the moon. Uh, we really landed on Mars. We just said it was the moon. And um, the reality is that you can see he is not in control. You can just see that. The same as you can see Iran is pulling the strings for Hezbollah and Hamas and all of them. So, um, you know, I'm sure he was the right person to send up at the time that he's going to go along with the plans and stuff like that. But I want to know who the rest of the people are that are running the country right now. Because none of them are trustworthy. It's very dangerous what's going on in our country right now. Here's the good news. Jesus is still in control. None of this is outside. You know, these people think that they're pulling one over on God. Or they don't believe in God at all. Whatever the case may be. But they're going to be shocked, aren't they? Because they're going to have to explain this to God. When they stand before him. Why did you do that? You know, well, because I was told to. You know, that... That's not going to be an excuse, you know, because you had the truth. You had the ability to know. And so we are the truth. We're the walking truth with the word of God. Not with our opinions. I just want to let you know that. I, I know that a lot of the stuff that I say is not biblical or it, it's just me because I have an opinion and I voice it sometimes. But when it comes to the word of God, I'm very serious about that. And I pray that you are too. That it don't sell what you don't know is true. Don't try to convince people of something that is just an opinion. Don't convince them of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are only theories until they get proven, until it, it becomes truth. But don't try to convince people before it's the truth. Okay, and, and that's why we really need to be the light. And the only way we shine the light is not by telling them that climate change is false, that, you know, um, that... Iran is funding Hamas. We don't have to talk about all that to people. We just have to tell them that God is in control. He's going to set everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Everything's going to be fixed. So here's the end of the story. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That happened at the cross. That happened. You see, Jesus 
Oh, Satan thought, oh, I got him. He's dead. I got him. Until three days later. And now his head is permanently bruised. See, here's the thing. Satan is the ruler of this world right now. He's in charge. That's why things are the way they are right now. Because he's in charge. Not for long. And Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take us home for a party. And then seven years later, we're coming back with him. And everything's going to be different. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be forced to buy a Tesla. I'm, you know, it, it's, it's going to be different. And we are going to live for eternity with our Lord and Savior, our King. Amen.